You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the education podcast for busy GPs. Uh, my name's Tim Coe, I'm the chair of RACGPWA and today on the podcast we have Dr Sarah Newman, our WA Registrar of the Year in 2017 and a newly fellowed GP working in Lockridge in Perth. That's right. Thanks so much for having me on. Welcome, Sarah. And it's nice to see all the uh, the faces out there. There's a, a mix of people who I can see are supervisors, uh, potential uh, GP registrars in the terms ahead, some GP registrars out there. So really timely that we speak about GP registrar and supervisor placements. So Sarah, my first question for you, having been through the, the training process, would be what are you and other registrars looking for in a, in a GP placement? Well, I think uh, the most important thing is you find a place that suits you. Things also to think about are the patient population that you're seeing. You want to be getting a, a broad range of all the presentations for general practice for your um, exam. But you're also looking for a place where you can have fun, that has a good office culture, a good practice manager to get along with, and a good, nurse, good nursing team to help you as well, because GP can be quite isolating. Um, and it's good to have a good team. And I guess uh, involved in that, you also want an interested and involved supervisor, preferably uh, a couple of supervisors if you can in the practice. Yes, it's the overall package of, of looking, looking for package. everything. Yeah, the, the demographics, the types of teaching you're going to get, uh, and the, the actual cultural experience at the practice. Yeah, that's right. Um, so having been through the hospital system and coming to GP, it's a really apprehensive time, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. What, what do you think hospitals don't prepare you for well coming into general practice? Well, uh, there's quite a, quite a few. Um, someone once said to me, GP, is um, it's like uh, you're reading multiple novels at the one time rather than an encyclopedia as you would be reading in the hospital. You've got many, uh, you're picking up on many different tasks which you're, you're moving and picking, uh, picking up another. So I think time, um, course, uh, is, is something that the hospital doesn't uh, really provide you with. The uh, 15 minute consults to, to do your history, your examination, your formulation, and then your, um, then your management. Um, I think it also, the uh, value of um, t waiting uh, in, in general practice is uh, not something the hospitals are great at and they have at their fingertips a whole array, battery of, of tests that sometimes are not available to um, GPs. I think the um, first time I became aware of, uh, of business at all was when I stepped out as a, as a registrar as well. Uh, our, tra our hospitals and our training don't um, prepare you for the, the business side and the, uh, certainly the billing and the Medicare uh, aspects as well. Yeah, so they're not the answers I expected actually. I mean, when I speak to registrars, they often say things like, oh, well, what do you want to learn? I want to, and they usually say, I want to learn dermatology and I'm not great with kids and I, I need more experience in skin. But you're absolutely right. There's all sorts of other sort of aspects of general practice that, yeah. which really you don't come into contact with until yeah. you're actually immersed in it. And I think you also don't really see the vast spectrum of how people present in, in uh, their health and in their illness. Um, you know, the, the, when they get to the hospital, they're already, they're already sick, but the GP will be the one that's, by, um, you know, uh, filtering out what's, what's, um, what's a problem and, and what's not. And that's a particular uh, skill that needs to be learnt across time. 
Yeah, so it's a really different experience in the way that we go about diagnosing and caring for That's people. That's it. So what can practices do better to sort of help registrars in their need and support them? Um, I think from the start, a good orientation, both to, you know, in the practice where the resources uh, stuff is, with, um, where your supplies are, and your supervisor, and getting to know them uh, as people as well. So possibly, you know, a little um, sundowner is a great way that um, my practice had, had done it. I think it's important that registrars know both their, their um, responsibilities, is it, are they going to be doing you know, nursing home and uh, those other things, as well as their rights, like what, what they can um, ask for in terms of flexibility in their jobs and, and holidays. I think uh, allowing um, GP regs to start off slow at their own pace, which they are comfortable at, say one or two patients an hour, and slowly bringing that up to the three or four at their what they're comfortable with and also putting in, in breaks and being um, uh, not, not pushing the registrar and just to really trying to allow them to get there by themselves. Also having protected teaching time with your supervisor because if you don't protect it, it's not going to happen. Um, and I find that uh, a practice that also is uh, geared to ongoing learning, so um, having meetings where, people, where we discuss uh, cases together or um, have, a, have specialists in to give us uh, extra, extra knowledge, that sort of in, in a practice having that. That's great. And there's certainly, I've got to say, I wouldn't have had a lot of registrars ask me all of those questions. Um, <laughs> you kind of find it out afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have ever been asked, well, what's your induction package like by a registrar <laughs> who's sort of coming into the practice? But it, it really is important. Actually, yeah. a really good induction is just critically important, um, just so you can actually work your way through the responsibilities of each, yeah. each sort of part of the supervisor and the registrar. And yeah, it's the nuts and bolts stuff that at the bottom of you have to get because there's so many new things that you are learning. At least if you know the basis of, of, your, of your job and what's expected, then you can add the learning that you're going to need in general practice on top of that. Yeah. So my, my next question is about teaching formats. And, um, you know, over the years, I've, I've probably taught about 60 residents and registrars. <laughs> Uh, and it just strikes me that I've never asked whether that's working, what I'm doing is working for them or not. <laughs> well, uh, or they just sort of nod and go, yeah, and go is, it, <laughs> well, is everything okay? And they usually go, yeah, yeah, it's all fine. <laughs> well, self-reflection is important, I think. Um, you know, you always want a supervisor to be enthusiastic and uh, someone who loves teaching. I think it's really uh, important that the supervisor gets to know their um, registrar because a lot of us are coming out of the hospital with a certain amount of experience and there may be areas where people are very proficient. Um, so you've been working on a medical ward as, uh, as a registrar, as I, as I did once, but um, my obs and gynae was uh, millions of years away. <laughs> so, so what teaching formats do you think registrars like? I mean, I suspect it's individual, but, yeah. but what do you think are the ones that work well and what, what doesn't work well, perhaps? What works well, I think, is if you see something, say, in a corridor consult where you just um, ask, you, you get your um, supervisor just to quickly check something out, coming back to that or having a, a case study that the um, registrar identifies is, is um, something that they'd like to have further, further knowledge in because that acknowledges where the knowledge gaps are for the registrar. I think also uh, C1 
do one, teach one sort of sort of thing and bringing a lot, particularly for myself, the procedural sort of stuff, having the supervisor have an idea of having me around more for, for those as, as well because that was one of my particular areas. But it might not be for someone else. Yeah, I guess the one thing you, you perhaps don't think about as a supervisor is there's a bit of a power imbalance between the supervisor and the, and the registrar and I guess having them say really clearly what this actually was good and this actually didn't work I guess, for yeah, a registrar could... Feeding back is, is important to know that you are going down that right learning um, pathway for them and, and helping them with the clinical reasoning. So sort of on the, the topic of, of learning, there's a range of different online resources. Um, what do you find are the most effective sort of learning on, online resources? Online resources. Well, I, I've got to say there's one uh, solid non-online uh, source, which is the Murtar. It's, it's absolutely um, uh, a must for all students. I think the um, AFP series, which is now the Australian uh, Journal of General, General Practice, are yep. uh, very, uh, very informative, as, uh, and particularly the Czech series, I found very good. Otherwise, there are a whole battery of them out there. There's the uh, BMJ on, on examination, which yeah. is particularly in exam time where you've got access to 3,000 questions. They are NHS associated. So there's also Dr. MCQ, which has another, another set of questions that are good for the AKT. I like also looking at American Family Physician as well. And normally the training providers will provide some form of um, other resources which are really important, uh, your therapeutic guidelines and sometimes a, a more comprehensive resource like Dynamed or something like that. Oh, that's fantastic. So it's a, a range of different resources. Yeah, I could go on. Yeah. I can't really remember them all. So, and that leads us past the next question, which is preparing for the, the college exams. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to prepare for the college exams it in is. lots of ways because it's such a vast it uh, array of no knowledge. It just, it, it's just a basically anything that walked in your door you could be tested on. I suggest that um, registrars use their everyday practice and what they're seeing. If they've got a question about a patient, writing it down and then uh, going and finding the answer earlier on in their training. Things like looking over um, resources like Dermnet in uh, New Zealand is important because often questions get taken from those images, um, those dermatology Im images. I suggest that um, registrars get into study groups, which I think are imperative, of between sort of three and five people, and probably about six months out, start planning around topics which to, to work through. At about one, uh, two months out, then starting to learn how to in fact answer the right question that the college wants you to, to put down in the AKT and particularly the KFP, working out what, uh, what you're being asked but how to put it down in the best possible way without this dreaded overcoding that you will become uh, familiar with and dread. <laughs> Yeah, so the exam technique is, is a big thing unto its own, isn't it? Mm. Um, and if I can give one tip on exam technique, the most common problem I find that registrars hit with the exam that is just not reading the question properly. Yeah. And they're usually in a real hurry, they, they misread it, and that's often why mis the, the overcoding happens because they're actually not reading it clearly. So I spend a lot of time with registrars talking about well, slowing yourself down and making sure you're really thinking Absolutely. about how the question is yeah. constructed. So that's, um, that's great, that's really helpful. Final 
question or topic is the issue of pastoral care, which can be a real issue for yeah. registrars because it's it's still a very vulnerable phase of your career and, and work life. I know that pastoral care is a really topic close to your heart because Indeed. you're part of the Doctors' Health Advisory Service Indeed. and it's a topic we've touched on here at The Good GP with our interview with David Oldham. Let's talk about where registrars can get that care and support, assuming that they're they're also getting it from their supervisors Yeah, as well. I was going to say the supervisor is, is one of the primary supports and I really encourage supervisors to do regular check-ins and debriefings because sometimes uh, consults can bring up feelings for the registrar and um, so the supervisors have a real, a real role in overseeing both the um, clinical t teaching and the well-being of, their, of the registrars. There are a number of different uh, other supports. There, uh, in in Western Australia, we have our, our the teaching uh, the teaching assistants. They also have a medical educator who which they um, they meet with monthly, who might be some someone they feel comfortable that they can bring things up with. We also have registrar liaison officer, which um, I currently am for um, the East Metropolitan Area, who is maybe that. Uh, the person that has a little bit more experience in the training but is a little bit more removed and they might feel comfortable to talk to that. Really one of the big primary ones is their own GP and that's something that uh, we are really interested in promoting at the Doctors Health Advisory Service and looking into facilitating how we might be able to do that. So you, you need your own GP, you just cannot treat yourself. In addition, if things are in a crisis, the Doctors' Health Advisory Service mans a 24-hour helpline, which is staffed by uh, experienced GPs with psychiatry availability for people, uh, doctors who are in a crisis situation so to uh, assist with triage and help there. So that, that is a, uh, something that people can call for colleagues or um, themselves, and we want to help um, prevent any further you know, morbidity and mortality that is somewhat pervasive in, in um, our profession, unfortunately. Yeah, there is this phenomenon amongst doctors of really perhaps not asking to for help at an early stage and just mm. letting things sort of snowball. Absolutely. And I think clearly getting that message uh, amongst our, our younger doctors, yeah. but also our, our later <laughs> career doctors. It starts as a, it's a community, it, it's a whole of profession thing. It can not, not just be our juniors, we need our supervisors to act it out too, to have that um, work-life balance, to know that they are vulnerable to the stresses that are inherent in all medicine. Yes, it's a really important message and certainly one I'm glad we're talking about today. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for taking part in The Good GP. Thank you so much.